Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Well, good Friday to you. Welcome to the Sean Spicer Show. It's been one heck of a week, politically speaking. And we've got a great show headed your way to glide you right into the weekend. Uh, so whether you're watching this on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, or heck, you know, maybe, you, uh, maybe you're watching a couple days later. I don't really care. Uh, but hopefully this is uh, something that you'll enjoy as much as I'm going to. Uh, today, I want to sit down with Andy Puzner. Andy was, I first met Andy. He had been nominated by President Trump to be the um, Secretary of Labor and went through, I'd say, a pretty solid confirmation fight with Andy. He ended up stepping back after a little while, um, but I got to know him and I've been very impressed with him. He's very active on social media, writes a lot on the economy. He had been the CEO of CKA restaurants. CKA is like Carl's Jr., Hardy's, like, you know, so these guys, he knows what he's doing. And he's currently a senior fellow at America First Policy Institute and Pepperdine University Public Policy. I thought it was interesting from a business perspective to look at what's going on in the economy with Biden, the interest rates, but also like there's a lot to get into with, with culture. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, just this week, um, Chuck Schumer says that they're going to get rid of over 100 years of dress code in the Senate because John Fetterman wants to wear what he wants. What, what, what's going on? How would he have handled this as a CEO? And what, what kind of challenges are they facing right now? And then, because I mean, obviously the restaurant industry is, is challenging and what, what would he have done? Um, I, I think it's just fascinating culturally, also like all this ESG stuff, the woke stuff. In DC, in Maryland, by the way, they've jacked up the, um, the minimum wage and are basically saying, you know, they want people to make a living wage. Well, what does that do to the industry? What does it portend for the future? I think uh, I'm actually interested in his take of what this means. And also, like I said, he went through the confirmation process. And I'd like to get his take for people who've never been through it before, what that all means. So great conversation headed your way. Um, it's Friday. Let's get into it. All right, whether you're watching this on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, thank you for everyone who has taken the time to uh, support the show and make sure you don't miss an episode. Um, so if you go to all those platforms, I know I talk about it all the time. I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but it's true. It really helps us when you're supporting the show and subscribing it and sharing it with folks. If you go to Apple um, and you're on the podcast stuff, if you can give us a five-star review, again, I... I appreciate this. I don't mean to make you take extra steps, but it does send a, a nice signal of support. And I get all the kind messages that you send uh, people saying, oh, I found you after Newsmax. Thanks for doing this. And I love doing this. Uh, and I can only do it because of your support. That's the bottom line. Um, so thank you for following us and sharing us. Uh, those are the things that we can do. It's obviously, it's hopefully we're bringing this to you free, either at the first because you are a direct TV subscriber or you've gone onto YouTube, whatever. And so our sponsors need to know that people are out there <laughs> watching this thing. So thanks for that. Uh, hopefully you find some time during the, um, the weekend to catch up. 
Uh, I love your feedback, by the way. If you could go to seanspicer.com, my website, or to my Locals channel, seanspicer.locals.com, and just tell me you know, what guests you like, what segments you like. As we head into this election season, kind of what I'm trying to do and what the whole foundation is to give you stuff that you guys want to know more about. And I love talking about it. So this is cool for me because all of this political stuff, whether it's what's going on at Capitol Hill or uh, the the process, the primaries and the caucuses, the convention, the debates, this is like what what I love to talk about. I know it's it's football season. There's so many of my friends that love to talk about, you know, who's up, who's down. I think the Patriots are already 0-2. So it's not good, meaning I need something. And so politics is it. Anyway, um, as I said uh, just a few seconds ago, um, great conversation headed your way because so much of what we're talking about right now in Washington is about spending and the impact of the economy. The Fed just held off on raising rates again, but they're saying there's one more. What impact will all that have? Um, businesses are struggling to stay afloat in some cases. The restaurant industry in particular is very difficult. Getting people to work. I mean, how many of you went to like a restaurant this summer and they had tables, but they didn't have people to serve it? I found that all the time where they would, I'd be like, hey, there's five tables over there. And they were like, it's not a table issue. We just can't find people who want to do the job anymore. Um, and so what does that mean for the future of our economy and for our workforce if people don't want to do these jobs? Um, I mentioned Andy was nominated by President Trump to serve as the U.S. Secretary of Labor. We went through a bruising confirmation process. Um, and they dug up a lot of personal stuff about Andy. And at a certain point, he just said, you know, this isn't worth what it's going to do to my family. So um, anyway, I want to bring you this conversation because he's just, I've gotten to know him, can, you know, really gotten to know him since, since that process. He's so smart on economic issues and labor force issues and, and such. So uh, he, he tweets a lot. He puts great graphics out. He, he goes, he explains what's happening in the Biden Bidenomics, what really is breaking down and why a lot of the spin is factually inaccurate, whatever. So uh, I want to get in uh, to that discussion with Andy and let's do it. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Andy, good to see you. Thanks for joining us today. Great to be here, Sean. Thanks for having me. You bet. I, I've, as I was telling the audience, I've uh, really enjoyed your commentary uh, since we got to know each other during that transition period. And, well, thank you. And because um, you really sort of can break down uh, what the reality is in the economy. Let me just sort of ask you a political economic question. Um, I think the Biden administration is banking. They're trying to sell people on Bidenomics and they're telling people that everything is great. Um, <laughs> and, and so the, but, but the beautiful, if you're them, the question, the sort of the thought that I have is they're banking on things getting better by say next July, August, when people are really thinking about the vote and the election. If you were looking into a crystal ball based on what you're seeing right now with interest rates and all the other stuff that's happening, what would your what would your guess be where we are next August? Well, you know, one of the one of the real drivers of GDP of um, of economic growth in this country is consumer spending. 
So I, I always try and look at where the consumer is, because when I ran CKE restaurants, that was obviously a big factor for us. So it's something I've been looking at for a long time. And I've really never seen uh, the consumer in more trouble than they're in today. You're talking about uh, people being unable to pay, 56% of Americans unable to pay a $400 surprise expense off with cash. Uh, you've got another 56% that are living paycheck to paycheck. And then you've got inflation up 17% since Biden took office, while wages are only up 13%. Well, do the math. If you're living paycheck to paycheck and prices are up 17%, but your paycheck's only up 13%, uh, that means you're going to have to borrow money. You're going to have to go to your credit cards, maybe your 401k plan. And with credit card debt, that's now up over a trillion dollars. It's never been over a trillion dollars before. This is the first time ever. Uh, and they're paying interest rates. It's not it's not what you're hearing about with the Fed, you know, the five and a five point four percent federal funds rate. They're paying between 15 and 22 percent. So you've seen interest payments for individuals. I just looked this up before the call. Interest rate interest payments for individuals were five hundred billion dollars in July. Uh, that's up from two hundred and fifty billion when Biden took office. So they basically doubled. If you look at the last seven months. Americans have paid $3.3 trillion in interest. That's up 80% since 2021. So you've really got a country where people are in serious, serious economic trouble. Consumers continue to spend, but they're borrowing to spend. You know, personal debt is way up. They're using their credit cards. 401k plans, the um, distress cashing in of 401k plans was up 36% in second quarter of this year versus second quarter of last year. So people are pulling out all the stops to try and meet their bills, pay their bills, uh, you know, provide for their families. Uh, they're, they're, we're spending ourselves into incredible debt and interest rates continue to go up. Well, I was going to ask you about that. So the Fed this week said that they were holding, at least for now, on, on raising again. But if they continue to raise rates, you know, you mentioned credit cards. And I, I think about that just, you know, I'm in a little different position than I was, say, 10 years ago. But I remember when when you got those, um, when you look at just what you were paying on interest on a credit card, you go, how am I going to dig myself out of this? And I keep thinking, not okay, so we're taking the spending thing. But then I also read a, a thing the other day about how owning a home for the first time is becoming something that is is now out of reach for a lot of people because it's, you know, you mentioned the credit card rate, but the rate, the mortgage rates are now hitting 7 8%. And I don't know for a lot of folks, that puts a lot of first-time buyers out of the market. So if the Fed continues down this path, what does that pretend big picture beyond the consumer, beyond the, the credit card? I mean, how does this the housing market maybe uh, affect the economy overall? Well, I say the, the number I gave you for the uh, the amount of debt that Americans paid, that $500 billion in July and the $3.3 trillion since the beginning of the year, that doesn't include mortgage debt. That's not that's that's just personal debt. That's not mortgage debt. That's not that's not uh, a debt that's backed by real estate. So it, it's mortgage debt has become very, very difficult for people to afford. And there, there's a there's a housing shortage out there because there just aren't enough houses. A lot of people have very low interest rates uh, on their existing on their existing debt. So they're not selling their houses. You sell your house, you're going to have to refinance at seven, eight percent. So there aren't a lot of new houses. There aren't a lot of existing houses on the market. And contractors aren't building a lot of new houses 
because interest rates are so high, they're afraid that people aren't going to be able to buy them. So you've got housing prices staying high because of a shortage of housing. And then you've got people having to borrow at these very significant interest rates uh, to try and purchase houses. And, and I, I should also point out that on the credit card debt, 51% of Americans, for the first time, over half of Americans can't pay off their credit card debt at the end of the month. So you've really got people that were in the situation you were in 10 years ago, and I was in probably 20 years ago because <laughs> I'm older than you, but at the point where you couldn't pay that bill off at the end of the month and uh, and at the interest rates they're paying now, this is a this, this interest rate, these interest rate increases are a terrible burden uh, for American consumers. And th look, this is not going to get better by next June or July. The Fed's talking about another increase this year. They were talking about three decreases in interest rates next year of a quarter point each. They're now talking about two. Uh, and I, I, got, I think that'll come down even further. I don't, I don't think they're going to be able to bring interest rates down because I don't see inflation dipping given the amount of government spending that's contemplated by Bidenomics. As, as Biden continues to spend, particularly with this green energy bill, which they called the inflation, it's the most ridiculous name in the history of, of legislation in, Cal in Washington, D.C., and that makes it really ridiculous. But they called it the Inflation Reduction Act. All it did was increase inflation. It was a, it was a climate bill. It was a green energy right. bill. Uh, but as long as they continue to spend... Uh, I don't see inflation coming down. And uh, so it's going to be a problem for the Fed. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I want to stay on the interest rate because I wanted to get to the political piece in a second. But I just I was thinking about this when you were saying it. Right. So I bought my first house um, at 28 years old. And I remember it was funny. So I, I <laughs> you'll probably get a kick out of this. So I invested some money in the stock market. And um, and my thought was this was what I was going to use as my down payment. I was going to cash in the stocks. And I'd never done anything but but buy some stocks and sold. I mean, so I hadn't sold anything. So I get ready and um, to, 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 to uh, I'm watching the closing date. And I thought, okay, um, I'm, I'm watching the stock market. And at that time, it had been going, you know, been doing fairly well. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll ride it another day and I'll ride it another day and I'll try to maximize. And we're talking about, you know, six or $7,000 at the time, right, right around there. So I remember, like, let's just say that the closing is on a Friday or something, right? And I'm watching the market and I, I call up the, the, the online brokerage, I think, whatever, the equivalent of E-Trade, but it was something different at the time. And I said, okay, I want to sell the stocks. And they're like, okay, good. We, here you go. They're sold. And I was like, okay, like, how do I get the money? And they were like, well, in three days, we'll send you. I said, three days, I'm closing on a, on a house tomorrow. I need this money. And they were like, that's not how it works. I'd never done it. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what do I do? But I was able to literally take a credit card and cash advance myself. That's, that's how different the market was back in the 90s. And it was like, but my point was, is that I was able to take the cash advance on a credit card put it towards this down payment of this first time house. The interest rates were, you know, three or four, whatever they were percent. I, I just, I think to myself, could I, I, there's no way I could do what I did 
whatever it was, 20 something years ago. At, and, and so your, your point about the housing market, right? How does that ripple out if people aren't buying that first time house or maybe they're waiting another 10 years to save up more money because they don't have the, the down payment like, like I was able to, to cash out a credit card. How does that then ripple? Because if you're not buying those houses, then you're not, you know, maybe putting construction workers to work and you're not. But I, I actually think that to me is a bigger economic problem. Well, it's not only a, a current economic problem because you're not putting people to work building houses. There's an entire industry that depends on that. But if you think about it long term, most people, most Americans, their savings are in their house. Right. You're, you're, and so if we have a generation of Americans who can't get into the housing market because interest rates are so high, prices are so high, uh, you know, they've got you, you can't use you can't use a credit card for your down payment in this day and age, even if you've got an American Express card. I mean, it, it's going to be very, very difficult. Uh, so it, it really has long term ripple effects. And I think it will affect people for for many, many, uh, many, many decades to come unless, unless we can get some competent leadership in Washington, D.C. and get interest rates back under control, you know, start producing energy again so we don't have these these huge interest rate increases due to energy production, uh, start, start to reduce regulations, keep taxes low, do the kinds of things that actually help people so we can get back to the economy we had in 2019 uh, when people were actually flooding out. You know, right now we see people leaving the labor market. And, and it makes sense because it, it's hard to find a good paying job. There are plenty of jobs out there, but it's hard to find a good paying job. And when you get a job, inflation beats you up. And we've still got the hangover of these benefits that were handed out during the pandemic, which we thought we'd have a Republican president in there. We thought it'd be President Trump. And when the pandemic ended, we would cut back on the benefits. But they've they've just continued these benefits, continued encouraging people not to work. So we're in we're in a very, very difficult economic situation. And uh, it's going to take we need we need competent leadership to rec recover. And it's not going to come from this administration. So <laughs> right. we're going to be going to be holding our breath for at least 18 more months. So I, I know this is an odd question, but I want to just I want to play it from both sides. If 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 the Biden administration called you and said, Andy Puzder, we, we think the world of you uh, put <laughs> be an American, help us out. What's the met like considering all of the stuff that w was going on right now and all of the analysis that you just provided. What should we be focusing on if we're trying to, to sell our policies? Because clearly, to your point, there's a lot that they can't do. They're focused on the green new energy. What is the, what is the one or two things that they should be focusing on if we had to flip this equation? Well, if the way people think about the economy is often a driver of the economy. Right. So you want to get people positive about it. Uh, this is particularly true with oil. If you if you believe there's going to be a glut of oil, that people, we aren't going to have oil, oil prices will go up. Even if we have oil, they'll go up if you believe there's going to be a shortage. If, if you believe there's going to be excess oil, then the price of oil will come down. So the first thing I think Biden should do is take a page out of, uh, uh, out of President Clinton's uh, playbook and stand up in front of the American people and say the era of big government is over. We're going to start reducing regulation. We're going to start shrinking the size of the government. Uh, the second thing you should do is say, we're going to make the Trump tax cuts permanent because while I've been telling you all that it was at 1% that benefited, that was just untrue. In fact, the top 1% are now paying more in taxes than they did during the Obama presidency and prior to the tax cuts. And everybody else is actually paying less as a percentage of total taxes. 
So we were going to keep that tax cuts in place. And number three, we were wrong about oil. Drill, baby, drill. We're going to we're going to do everything we possibly can to to increase the supply of energy in the United States. And that um, if he stands on the steps of the White House and says just that, the price of oil will drop huh. and p- the price at the gas pump will drop within months. All he's got to do is tell the world America's back in the game. We're going to be increasing the supply of oil. People will contemplate that we're going to have more oil and the price for oil will decline. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay. So on the flip side, if you're the Republican Congress or one of these candidates that's running for president, what is it that, I mean, do you want to, I mean, I've, I was giving a speech the other night and I said to folks, they were all fretting and hand-wringing. And I said, how much more can you get? I mean, literally, to your point, you walk down the street, prices are higher. We don't, you go into the supermarket. Uh, our foreign policy is a disaster. Uh, the guy on tape can't walk down a flight of stairs. I mean, at some point, this is a massive gift. But what would you say from an economic messaging standpoint, Republicans should be focused on? Like, here are the one or two things. Don't say anything more. Just these two things. I said, number one, um, by the, you know, that, that's a really good question. I want to be thoughtful about this. I'm glad okay. that this isn't that you've got five minutes and the interview's over <laughs> type of type of segment. Uh, but I think they say, look, look, America, we can get back to where we were. Right. We can get back to 2019 if we cut taxes, reduce regulation and increase domestic energy production. We need to we need to seal the border and we need to do something about crime in our major cities. But if we can reduce if we can keep taxes where they are or reduce them. We can reduce regulation and we can begin producing oil at the levels we were producing them at. Uh, your life's going to be better. Your retirement will be better. The lives of your children will be better. And we can make this the country that it once was before the Biden presidency. So the President Trump next week is going out to Michigan to give this speech in front of these UAW workers. Um, and it's interesting because traditionally Republicans would never I don't think really be flocking to a union, especially auto workers. I, I, I sort of am interested in your take because it, it seems to me as though President Biden has really blown it. A guy who calls himself Union Joe, he can't get the auto workers, which is an unbelievably traditional Democratic base, to get behind him. What should Trump's message be? Well, Trump's, Trump actually, he's right on message. The message is, Electric vehicles are killing the American automobile industry. They're bad for consumers. They're bad for auto workers. And, uh, and they're going to destroy the UAW. And let me tell you why that's true. It's, this is one of those unintended consequences of this green energy electric vehicle transition. You know, there's a lot of, lot of unintended consequences. We didn't know we were going to be used forced labor and child labor to dig up the minerals. We didn't know that there'd be all these environmental problems with digging up the minerals and with disposing of the batteries. We didn't know that it would cripple our electric grid if everybody went with electric cars. I mean, there are there are all these unintended consequences when the government mandates something 
and doesn't rely on the free market and consumer demand to drive the economy. When consumers drive the economy, we end up in a good spot. Yeah. When the government mandates it, we end up being Cuba, Venezuela, the former Soviet, you know, all of these socialist countries where that just doesn't work. One of the unintended consequences of what Biden's doing with electronic vehicles is he's going to wipe out the gas-powered vehicle industry. They're, they're Ford, Chevy, Ford, General Motors, Stellantis, which owns Chrysler, are all moving heavily towards these electronic vehicles, and they take 40% fewer employees to make. So you have 40% fewer people on the manufacturing line because they're easier to make. It's easier to make these vehicles. There was a report out uh, within the last couple of days from the America First Policy Institute that said that the um, that the the uh, car manufacturing industry would lose 117,000 jobs because of Biden's push for these electronic vehicles. Well, most of those are going to be gas-powered vehicle jobs, and they're all going to be lost. They're mostly going to be union jobs lost in union states. Because the money from the, this green energy money that's going to electronic vehicles isn't only going to wipe out jobs, but the money's going to right-to-work states that aren't unionized. <laughs> because the, the people that are building these cars, they don't want to build them in the union states because it's too expensive. Labor's too expensive. So the, the money's going and the jobs are going to right-to-work non-union states. And the jobs that are being lost are union jobs. So when Fain is out there and he says, well, we're going to fight our number one enemy, these terrible companies that, that hate our workers and, you know, and they demand a 40 percent increase in wages. Well, Ford, you know, uh, uh, Jim Foley at Ford came in and said, well, you know what? How about 20 percent? Well, that's not that's not exactly a miserly increase. I think most people would be very happy with 20 percent, but it's certainly a, an indication of good faith, if not a generous beginning position in these negotiations. So their enemy isn't the big these car companies. These car companies want their employees to be happy. They want they want to be profitable, but they want employees to be happy because your employees are your most valuable asset. They'll go work somewhere else if right. they're not happy. So they want them to be. The, the danger here is the Biden administration. If the Biden administration is killing union jobs and it's sending money to non-union states, these right-to-work states. So if the union would wake up and see that. I think they could actually make some progress in but, this but area. But don't you think? Don't you think it's the union? Like, I agree with you. I think the funny thing is, Biden can keeps talking about he hopes that there's a deal. A deal helps them in the short term. They can give them a forty percent increase. They can give them a fifty percent increase for all I care. But at the end of the day, if you switch everything over to electric, they're not going to. You're going to get a zero percent increase because your job's going to go away. And the nice thing is that Trump is saying, regardless of the of the percent increase you get, I'm trying to save your industry. Like you won't have yeah. a job if Biden's here. So the, the percentage you get as an increase doesn't matter if you don't have a job. I'm exactly. actually trying to save your industry. Yeah, so the, and, and the, the but it is, you're right. If, if you don't have a job, it doesn't make any difference if the people who do have jobs are making whether 20 or 40% more because you don't have a job. Right. But I think the, 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 interesting, the interesting thing in all of this is not only the the, um, the 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 fact that people are going to lose jobs, but the fact that the jobs you're creating with electronic vehicles are going not not are not union jobs, right? So you, the people you need to be upset with aren't the people that are trying to employ but you. Do you think, Andy? Let me ask you this. I, I totally get it because the batteries and everything else. 
Do you think that we should be driving a truck through this message right now? Because I'm sitting here going, wake up, folks. This is the clearest example, if you're a union member, of what the Democratic leadership is is supporting and proposing. Republicans could drive a truck through this message and say, hey, guys, yes. all these electronic cars, less workers, parts not from the U.S., even if they do build them, the, the batteries, et cetera, aren't coming from here. So you're screwed. And they're coming from China. Yeah. Like you're, send, you're sending jobs to China. We're doing this all over again, right? We're going back to the 19th. We're going to send all the jobs to China. What percent of American people do you think want to buy an electric vehicle as their next vehicle, a pure EV? Um, one in 10? Eight. Eight percent. Oh, so wasn't that off? Yeah. No. I mean, no, nobody wants these. You know, the funny thing the is, way, so I, this is a true story. I, um, I've um, i never driven a Tesla, right? I go, um, uh, I, I'm at the rental car place. This is a couple months back, Logan Airport. I pull in and they said, you know, hey, we have a Tesla. And I was like, hey, this is pretty cool. They're like, oh, it's in your bracket, whatever, um, you know, my yeah. rental thing is. And I said, cool. And then I said, um, well, I got to drive up to New Hampshire. And then from New Hampshire, I got to go to Rhode Island. And um, <laughs> how far does it go? And he goes, I don't know. And I'm like, now I know if you're a Tesla person and you're watching this, you're like, okay, well, there's an EV station. I don't know how to, I know how to pump gas, right? I don't know how to plug that thing in. And I wasn't about to take a tutorial there, but I was, I was worried. I'm like, I don't know that I can pull this off. And I think that for a lot of these people, for a lot of people, it's nice if you live like with a five mile radius of your life, but I couldn't, I literally was like, hey, I think it'd be kind of neat to drive this thing but I can't guarantee you that I can get to where I want to go. And, and we're not there yet, technology-wise. No, and look, if people want Teslas, if they want it, to, that's great. I, I, I think Elon Musk is wonderful. Oh, I, I do Tesla. too. So if, if you want to, the problem is the government forcing people to right. buy them, forcing manufacturers to make them. But you're right. No, people don't want them because they, they don't, they're, they're very unsure how far they can go. They you know, there, there are a lot of advantages to gas-powered cars beyond just the distance you can, you can drive them. But the distance you can drive them is a very significant thing. I have a son who's thinking about leasing a car, and he's in college in St. Louis. We live in Nashville. But he wants a car where he can get from St. Louis to Nashville. <laughs> and that's going to be tough if he's got an electric vehicle, because I don't know how many charging stations there are between St. Louis and Nashville. I'd imagine not very many. But if people want these cars... We'll come up with the charging stations. Just like we came up with gas stations back right. in the early 1900s. But, but I also don't know how long it's going to take me if I stop, right? Do that's I have exactly to wait an right. hour? Is it two hours? I don't know enough. And that's until it gets a little better. I'm not sure I want to make that leap. And the lines are long. Right. I mean, you get, I mean, if everybody's, this is, it's so ridiculous. I mean, this is just such a ridiculous product to be shoving down everybody's throat. And the reality is the environmental benefits aren't there. This isn't going to make a width of difference in the world as to whether or not we're going to have... You know what it reminds uh, me if, of? If it, you it, believe that carbon emissions cause climate change, this isn't going to have an impact on It reminds that. me of all these elites that love to talk to us about climate change and then get on a private jet. It's they want yeah. everyone to have a Tesla, but they they want to be, you know, in Biden's case, he's driving around in a in a Chevy Suburban. And, um, and I get it. It's like they just want a virtue signal to everybody else and tell us what we should do with our lives. I, Andy, I want to ask you a question, though, about keep, keeping on this UAW thing for a second. You were a former big time CEO. One of the comments that I hear, not just here, in the interviews that I hear um, when I turn on CNBC or the Today Show, and they've got these, the, the CEOs of a lot of these companies, the workers are saying, 
the CEO makes this percentage more than the average worker, and that ratio has gotten bigger over the last decade or so. Is that a fair argument? As a former CEO, do you really care what your average worker was making? No, I absolutely. Everybody cares what the average worker is making. But the question is, how valuable is your CEO? Think about it like as a general manager or a, a manager of a baseball team. You know, is Billy with Billy Martin, who any team Billy Martin went with, all of a sudden they started to win. It didn't make it. They could be in last place. By the time he was done, they'd be in first or second place. He was a very valuable manager. You would pay a lot to have a manager like that. You right. would pay a lot to have somebody that knows how to make a business succeed. You, you've having somebody work on an assembly line or work at a cook station in a restaurant, those are jobs with, with a, a, those are wonderful jobs. People have a lot of responsibility, but they're a different skill than making an entire enterprise successful. And boards of directors try and find the CEOs that will make their company the most successful. And they compensate them on the basis of what the competition's making, because if somebody is successful at something, another company will try and lure you away to be, you know, to help them. So get if you were, if you were the CEO of like Ford or uh, GM or something, and you were on CNBC and they said, Andy Puzder, your salary is exponentially bigger than your, like, do you think they deserve to close that ratio? What would you have said? I would have said I'm paid what the, what the board of directors and who are elected by the shareholders believe I'm worth. And if they don't think I'm worth it, then they shouldn't renew my contract. But do you think, but wouldn't then then the next question be fine? That's what you're worth. But shouldn't you then, don't you think your employees are worth, you know, X percentage more? I think my employees are worth a lot. And I, you know, we want to compensate them to the maximum amount we can and still be profitable, still generate a return for our investors and to keep them happy because they're important to the business success. But what, the CEO of a company makes, whether it's my company or a different company, does it, it is not. You can't judge the salary of the employees based upon the salary of the CEO. Right. They're very, very different positions, and they don't need to line up. If you have a bad CEO, he shouldn't make very much money, and he should be terminated. You should lose your job quickly. Uh, that that's that's the basis on which you judge a CEO, and it's a basis on which you judge employees. They should be paid commensurate with the pro, what they provide the benefit they provide to the enterprise, uh, and they shouldn't be paid more than the benefit they pro- provide to the enterprise. But, but, right, the so let me, let me go down that. Let me keep and going by down. the way, a lot, of, a lot of the compensation that they include when they talk about CEOs is stock grants. Right. The CEOs get granted stock, so they have an incentive to try and increase the value of the stock. So it's not always salary right. uh, we're talking about. So it, it, it's there's a world of difference between CEO compensation and the compensation of employees. All right, so what about profitability? Because one of the points that President Biden keeps saying is, well, these companies are profitable and therefore they should share it with the employees. I look at that and say, as a, if I'm a stockholder, no, 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 I'm the, I'm the investor. Uh, I wanna get paid out as well. Where's that line between, like, does he have a point, do you think, when he says the employees should be the first to share in this? Uh, I think the employees should get a share of the success of the company, but your your ultimate obligation is to your shareholders. Yeah, it's the people that invested in your business and businesses that are profitable. When your business is profitable, people want to invest. The more profit they think there is, the more they will right. invest, and that investment is what drives job creation and economic growth. So if you start diminishing 
the value of your company, if you start diminishing the value of companies in general, you attack the profit motive, which has been the generator of the uh, the greatest wealth creator actually in history, uh, the, the profit motive in the free market system, and has lifted billions of people out of poverty. And that's pretty much a direct quote from Barack Obama in 2015, speaking at Georgetown University, where he said, the free market is the greatest creator of wealth in history and has lifted billions of people out of poverty. When you, when you attack the profit motive, you attack that profit-driven system that has really turned around humankind over the past 200 years. Yeah. We had 94% of the world living in poverty before capitalism. Today, that number is under 10%. And it should be lower. And we can get it lower. Yeah. But we can't get it lower by ignoring what got us here. And that was the profit motive in free market capitalism. You know, let me ask you to keep your CEO hat on for a second. This um, week, Chuck Schumer scrapped the dress code of the United States Senate for the first time in a hundred plus years so that John Fetterman could look like he just rolled out of the gym. Um, what message does that send when the majority leader of the Senate caves to the lowest common denominator and says, yes, you can walk on the Senate floor now with a hoodie, gym shorts and sneakers? Well, the, the one thing that always separated the Senate, I think, from the House or from any other branch of government was the dignity of the institution. Right. I think people respected the Senate because it was a group, it was 100 uh, of, of the very experienced and intelligent people who went through a political process to get where they got and were successful. Uh, this really demeans the institution. And it, it's unfortunate that this is happening. I can't believe that uh, that he would dress like that to but, go but, to but, a but just when I, when I let say alone put, to go meet in the Senate. But when I say put your CEO hat back on, I'm being serious. I mean, you ran these huge restaurant chains. And I would think to myself, if I'm, you know, manager so-and-so, I go, why am I wearing this silly polyester uniform when I'm watching the this? If this guy, Fetterman, can wear whatever the heck he wants, why can't I? And so I'm going to tell my manager who I want to tell CEO Andy, that I don't want to wear this stuff anymore and the dress code's silly and look at what's happening. Do you, do you think that there's actually a ripple effect? Because I do. Well, there would certainly would be if it happened at a, at a, in, a, in a corporate headquarters where you had a certain dress code for customer service purposes. Uh, if the top officials of the company started dressing like they, you know, they just finished their workout rather than in a, in a, in appropriate business manner. Uh, I think it would have a ripple effect through the institution and it would it would look it would be bad for employee morale. I, yeah. And employee morale is very important I, to the I just success see, of any business. I just see a lot of people going, well, if, if a senator can do it, why can't I? Why do I have to wear something nice here at CKE headquarters when this Fetterman guy can look like a bum? But I want you to weigh in on one other thing, too, that I, I sort of am, am intrigued as someone of your stature. There is a movement now post-COVID to get a lot of companies are saying we all need to get back in the office uh, five days a week or whatever, four days a week. I, I'm sort of I, I have mixed feelings on this. I heard Kevin O'Leary, who's on Shark Tank, say, hey, look, get the best employee and figure out what works for them. Um, I've heard a bunch of other people saying, hey, the job is here. You show up. There's mentorship. There's there's accountability of being in the office. Michael Bloomberg has been talking about that. Where do you come down on on? That sort of where should employees be forced to be back in the office? Should there be some flexibility? No, I think employees should be. Back. If I were running a company now, I would have employees coming back into the office. First of all, uh, I think the employees that you would lose if you said the employees have to come back to the office, the ones who would leave are the ones you probably ought to get rid of anyway. 
They're ones that really aren't dedicated to the business and aren't trying to aren't trying to move forward within the company. You lose a lot when you're not in the office. I yeah. think some of the, the best meetings, uh, the, the most successful meetings, the meetings that really drove the company forward when I ran it at CKE, when I ran it for 17 years, were when three or four of us just happened to end up in the same office, maybe with our feet up on our the other guy's desk, and started talking through issues, you know, really from your gut. Three, you know, really that I think people think about it as uh, you know, as as a drinking fountain talk or you know coffee break talk, but it's really much more than that. If you 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 sit down with a group of people and you go through what you're thinking about about the business, and you you can get a lot done. And you're not going to get that sitting home on a Zoom call. It's just it, I'm sorry, it's just not right. the same. And plus, you don't you know you don't feel comfortable sort of walking around and walking into somebody's house or just <laughs> calling them on Zoom to see how they're doing. You know, you do feel that with somebody's office and you, you really get a lot more done. Now, there are positions, you know, for example, in the accounting department, maybe people that are doing bookkeeping work don't need to be in, you know, 40 hours a week, five days, five days, five days a week, 40 hours a week. Uh, but most jobs where you've got decision making and uh, you've got people who want to kind of move up in the organization. I think it's very important that they be in the office and be interacting face to face. So let me, this is, uh, I, I continue to keep your CEO hat on for a second. You have been very active also in the, in the sort of the woke ESG environmental social governance, sort of really trying to figure out ways that people can support companies that might not necessarily align with their values. As a former CEO, you, you ran successful companies. Do you think that your association with Trump and the conservative movement, how would that hinder you getting hired again? If you said, I want to get back in the workforce, do you think that a Fortune 500 company would hire an Andy Puzder again based on the comments that you've made about the current administration and your association with the Trump administration? No, no, I, no, I think that would hurt yeah. in the current environment. And, I, and by the way, the comments I made, even if they weren't about Trump, the comments I made about minimum wage, the comments I made about Obamacare, I think uh, prior to uh, when I retired in 2017 would make it very difficult for people to uh, hire me today. Not not because CEOs have changed, but because of the pressure that's coming down from institutions like BlackRock, right. like Larry Fink at BlackRock, who's got, you know, his BlackRock is now, gosh, it's the first, second or third largest shareholder in 90 percent of the companies in the S&P 500 and owns at least 5% and 97.5% of the companies in the S&P 500. It's other people's money, but Larry Fink thinks, seems to think that he should be able to use the voting power I, that comes with that to direct CEOs as to what policies they should uh, they should pursue. And he's, he's a very ESG woke kind of guy, yeah. although he won't, he won't say ESG anymore. He now says it embarrasses him. He what? says he's a conscientious capitalist, which if that's different than ESG, I'm not sure how. Real quick, though, what percentage of CEOs do you think keep their mouth shut and abide and go with the Larry Fink mode or that or that or that actually buy into this crap? I mean, I, I have a feeling it just seems to me that a lot of them are scared to actually say what's true and right. They're just trying to to show that they're woke. I think they are, and I think actually this this stakeholder capitalism ruse that the uh, the business forum came up with uh, under Jamie Dimon. I like Jamie Dimon; he's a very smart guy. But they said we're not going to focus on stakeholders anymore. We're now going to focus on um, on our our employees, our suppliers, um, our our community, and uh, and there was one other. But I mean, what you know? They're all the things that you would focus on anyway. Like what? What idiot CEO wouldn't focus on his customers? Right. 
If you don't focus on your suppliers, they give the best deals to the other guy. Yeah. And everybody knows you have to be liked in the community. So they really were saying, they really were trying to avoid getting criticized by Larry Fink. They're trying to look like they're becoming more woke and more sensitive. Uh, I think stakeholder capitalism was a ruse and was an effort by a lot of CEOs to find something they could hide behind. Right. And, uh, and look like they were they were towing the woke, uh, you know, towing the woke line. Yeah. Andy, always enjoy our conversations. Thanks for joining us today. Have a great Thanks. weekend. My pleasure, buddy. Thanks. All right. Thanks for watching this. What a great conversation. Uh, I love Andy. He's if you don't follow him, do. Uh, he's got great insights, especially when Biden's trying to spin you. He's always got some great article or op-ed out or a snippy thing on Twitter that gives you the straight scoop on what's really happening in the economy. Uh, also, please continue to subscribe, follow us, go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review if you're there. Thanks to everyone who's watching on the first. We've got a great week coming your way next week. Obviously, a big Senate show, a, a spending show showdown in the House of Representatives, the fate of Kevin McCarthy in the balance, whether he can get a deal or not. And the second debate, that's on tap as well. By the way, one last thing. We did debate prep before. If you go to my locals channel, seanspicer.locals.com, myself, Mark Halperin, and others will be doing a debate prep session on a Zoom call the morning of, the morning after debate. Go to seanspicer.locals.com. Sign up to get the information on the Zoom call. We do it live at 9 a.m. the day of and the day after the debate with debate insights that you will get nowhere else. Go to seanspicer.locals.gov for all the details. I will see you next week. Have a great weekend. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.